No Exit with Nicholas Corice contains explicit language and content. Listener discretion is advised. Gray looked himself over in the mirror and tussled with his frizzy black hair. There's only so many times he could pretend to do this while waiting for his buyer. He was pretty sure that there was another drug deal going on in a nearby stall about two minutes ago, but even those people had the good sense to finish up their transaction in a quick and orderly manner, leaving him here still pretending to preen himself in the mirror. He pulled a lock of his hair down past his face and it sprung back up, then he sighed to himself. He told himself that he didn't get a bite on his line in the next moment or two, so to speak. He was going to have to go back out into the bar. His friends were probably already wondering where he was by this point, as it was. The door opened and a woman walked in. She didn't hesitate or act surprised and back out. It was deliberate, not unlike a subdued but straightforward act of defiance coming in the men's bathroom by herself, nonetheless. She walked in, heels clicking on the floor, and looked directly at him with a cigarette hanging off her red lips. She smashed the cigarette out on the marble countertop, flipped her hair back, and then washed her hands in the sink, looking at him in the mirror. He smiled and said hello. She didn't say anything back at first, but then asked, Are you Lucas? The words dripped out of her mouth in an unidentifiable Slavic and or European accent. The way she said it and the boldness of her question didn't make him think about how much he hated to be called by his real name, or how someone would even know that in the first place. Confused, he said, Yeah, I mean, it's great, but yeah. She gave him a slight smirk and lit up another cigarette, then walked step by step into a bathroom stall. Unsure of what to do with himself for a second, he followed her inside. She flashed him a wad of bills in her coat pocket. He steadied himself and went through the motions of a standard deal. He produced the bag of drugs from his pocket, cut up two lines, then snorted one with a rolled up $20 bill while the woman smoked and watched him. He rubbed his nose and cleared his throat a few times, and the sensation hit him like the first bump in a carnival ride. This was the third time he had done this tonight, and he was starting to feel the anxiety creeping in, especially now with a strange woman hanging in front of him in the way she was. He coughed a couple times, trying to stifle the noise in his echoing bathroom stall, and handed her the rolled-up bill. She took it with her cold, spidery, manicured fingers and leaned over to do a line. She rose up, took it all in one big snort, and showed no noticeable effect from what she just consumed. She pulled the wad of bills out from her coat pocket and placed five $100 bills on top of the toilet tank, and the exchange was made. She lit another cigarette and leaned up against the stall door, Then she offered him one, which he took. She ashed the cigarette in the toilet and looked him over. Then finally, she actually said something to him. Are you from here? Uh, my parents are, he said, wondering if he was giving away too much information to a complete stranger. Uh, I'm actually, I actually go to school on the East Coast. I'm just back here on winter break. What are you studying, she asked, as if she didn't care, but asked anyway. Architecture, um, specifically that of the modern brutalist history and identification. It's bullshit. She flicked her eyebrows up in a slight interest after he had said that. It was the most reaction he'd gotten from her so far. You come here alone? She asked. No, I'm with a couple of friends, he said, holding a shake in his hand. They... they don't know I do this. Again, he felt like he was revealing way too much again, but for some odd reason he couldn't help it. Have you ever heard of Club Crimson? She asked, blowing smoke out of her mouth, looking into nowhere. He shrugged. Yeah, but like... 
That's not real though, right? I thought it was just like a super hip made up place that Ted Eastron and Todd Felsen made up for that article in Vogue or whatever. She smirked and shook her head. She felt around in her handbag and got a card out. She held it between her two fingers and he took it with both hands. It was printed in the darkest color of black he'd ever seen in his life and had the words etched in a metallic red, Club Crimson. It had an intricate layered red moon symbol below that. It's off Pasadena, behind the factory works. This can get you in. Good for one night only. Gray was trying hard not to sound like some flattened simpleton awash in his own surprise. He was trying hard not to ask if this was real or any obvious questions. Instead, he only thought to say, Can my friends come? How many? she asked. Two, a guy and a girl. Yes, but you must not tell anyone else. He nodded, and she flicked the cigarette in the toilet, and it went out with a hiss. Gray composed his nerves up, gathered his money, and walked out of the stall. He went over to the sink to check himself, to see if there were any remaining powder on his nose, or even blood coming out of it like the incident he had last week. When he finished, he noticed the woman was gone. There was a scared excitement in his heart right now, and this time it wasn't just the drugs in his bloodstream. Back in the bar, his friends Chester and Rose waited for him. Chester was talking, and Rose did most of the listening. Though the music was somewhat loud and she had trouble hearing him at times, she already knew where the conversation was going most of the time. So then, when I passed the bar in October, I mean, well, if I passed the bar, that is, I've already got two firms that have been asking about me. I mean, not to brag or anything, but that's kind of like a lot. I feel like I've really got things settled up for a while, you know? Not to mention that I'll be out of school for good. I guess, I guess I just feel like I'm kind of excited. She sipped a pink drink and looked at him. Yeah, I mean, I know you are, she said. I still have about a year left, and I have to think about writing a script for a final project. I... it's gonna be a lot of work, and that's not even the time I count being on set. And for me, I'm just not sure about the future in a lot of ways, but I'm sure you know that. Chester put the beer up to his lips and took a big drink out of it. Inside of his pocket right now was a diamond engagement ring. It had been burning a hole in his pocket since he had picked up Rose earlier that evening. More and more, he was starting to feel stupid for even thinking of bringing it in the first place. Nothing was going as he had planned tonight, and things were becoming more and more awkward by the second. Yeah, I mean, I know, was all he could squeeze out, until an uncomfortable moment passed between them, and then he broke it with, Man, what is taking Gray so long? He's been gone forever. Rose, finishing the last of her drink, looked out into the crowd and pointed. Oh, I think that's him. Look. Chester looked out and they locked eyes, and that's when he saw the expression on Gray's face. Something had to have happened, and already Chester didn't know how much more weirdness he could handle tonight. Hey man, said Chester. What's wrong? You look like shit. Hey, he said. We need to leave. Rose looked him over. She and Gray weren't really friends, per se. Chester was his friend, and Rose was Chester's girlfriend. They didn't hate each other, but they didn't exactly like each other either. At one point last week, Rose asked Gray if he was dealing, and Gray admitted that he had. The two talked, and Rose agreed not to tell Chester unless it had been absolutely become a problem, and Gray agreed with that. Chester, in his infinite naivety, knew nothing about this. The look that she gave Gray right now was as if she was expecting the start of a problem, and she had indeed been looking at him like that a few times tonight, though this time it was particularly pronounced. What? said Chester. Why? We just got here. Are you okay? Dude, listen, I'm fine. It's nothing like that. I just... 
I, I bumped into some lady in the men's room, and you're not gonna believe this. She invited me to a club and gave me a card. Look at it. Be careful. Make sure people don't see it. Men's restroom? What do you- Let me see that, said Chester. He took the card into his hot, moist hands and made Gray nervous as he held it. Rose leaned over and looked. She squinted at it. Get out of here. No way, she said. It's real. I mean, it's gotta be, right? What is this, said Chester again. It's the card for, he leaned in and whispered, Club Crimson. It's like the most exclusive club anywhere. Prince, Madonna, Mick Jagger, anyone who's anyone goes there. And even some of them can't get in. It's a pop-up club that happens here in California and sometimes New York City. It's available only by invite. And he leaned in closer. You're not supposed to talk about it. What? Said Chester again, now more confused than ever. I've never heard of this anywhere before. I guess that's the point. Maybe? Said Gray. No, it's true, said Rose. I only know because there was a girl in my ethics class who supposedly paid about ten grand for an invite that turned out to be fake. Her father is like one of the richest guys in the country. She was one of the hippest chicks in the school, too. She's in some shitty punk band name, I think. Anyway, everybody knew it was bogus, but even I gotta say, this looks real, and I think we should check it out. Oh god, me too, said Gray. I mean, I think it's at least worth a look. Worst case scenario is we find nothing and have to head back and go somewhere else, right? Chester shook his head. I don't know, guys. I mean, what if it isn't fake? Are we cool enough for this place? Or rather, am I cool enough for this place, for that matter? Man, said Gray, you got the bluest blood out of all of us. We went to McDonald's in your dad's Bentley the other day. Where would you not fit in? You know, besides Skid Row or whatever. He hesitated for a moment, looking like he wanted to protest more and go against this idea. Thinking of the ring in his pocket, he just shook his head and said, all right, whatever, just look, you guys promise me one thing. If it feels weird, can we just leave, please? Gray nodded and said, of course. But even Chester knew that this threshold for weird that Gray had wasn't the same as his threshold for weird. The building they were at was unmarked. No neon sign, no numbers, nothing of any permanent significance. Graffiti was tripping from the concrete walls on a building that looked like it could have been a prison or a mental institute, as Gray joked, which didn't make Chester feel any better about it. There was a row of cars outside, which people got in and out of. The three of them observed what was going on for a minute or two, until Chester finally said, I... I really don't know about this. Come on, you scared? said Gray. No, I'm not scared, he said. It's just, look, are we even dressed for this? What if they turn us away? Turn us away, said Rose. You think they're gonna turn us away when they just let a seven foot tall lady in a plastic dress with spike heels walk in? They might need some normals at this party to mix it up. By that I mean me and you. That was a dig on Gray she made, which they both actually shared a laugh about while Chester sat quiet. God, he said, wringing his hands on the steering wheel. Man, I wish I would've drank more or something before I came here. You know what? said Gray, thinking hard about his next move here. Then after about two seconds of deliberation, he went out and said it. I may have a little something here that could give you a boost of confidence. What do you mean? Chester said. Gray leaned over from the back seat, took out his plastic bag, and put a little mound of white powder on the center console. What? What is this? Are you... How do you have this? Chester chopped up the lines with a credit card, rolled up a $100 bill this time, and did one. He rubbed his nose, then held the bill out between them. Rose and Chester looked at each other. Rose took a deep breath and said, 
Ugh, fuck it. Why not? Much to Chester's horror, she bent over and did a full line. She whipped her head back up and exhaled. Damn, she said, shaking her head. She saw Chester looking at her, shocked. She smiled, stuck out the bill for him to take, and said, Your turn. Chester was scared, and he couldn't hide it now. He shook a little in his seat and had a sad look that he was trying to hide. Chester knew that he could have ended the evening right then and there. He could have told her and Gray to get the fuck out of his car, and he could have gone straight home to his parents' Malibu mansion, and there he'd spent the rest of winter break there, safe in his bedroom until he would have to go back to school two weeks from now, and then everything would be the same before this awful night crept in on him and dashed all of his plans. Still gripping the wheel as tight as he could, he was almost panting through his nose. He thought about all of that, but in the end, he decided not to do any of it. He shook his head and said, You know what? Taking the bill from her hand. You're right. Fuck it. By the time they had got inside, the three of them had now forgotten to pretend like they weren't complete spellbound pedestrians. Each one of them took in an eyeful of everything happening around them, and there was indeed a lot of senses to feed on. First, it looked massive in here, much bigger than it looked on the outside. The design of the place was like old world, brass trim and black fluted wood surfaces, but it was also sleek and modernized in its own way, with deep red lights and neon lined about through the various spaces, and of course, there were people of the hippest, strangest order scattered around everywhere the eye could see. My god, said Rose, head craned up. This place must have cost a friggin' fortune. Look at the stage, said Gray, pointing to the two of them. I think that's pop singer Tasha May, right? Or a really good look-alike, because didn't she die like two years ago? He said this, but no one heard him, especially Chester, whose head was zooming every which way, trying to compose himself in the surroundings. Gray tapped him on the shoulder and asked, Hey man, everything all right? I... I think... He jumped at first, then said stammering, There's two people fucking on that platform over there. Gray dropped his shades down and squinted. Oh, wow, he said. I think you're right. I think those guys over there on the other one are doing it too. What? said Chester. Come on, let's go get a drink. They made their way through the collective zoo of people. Gray and Rose sat down, leaving a chair for Chester in the middle. He was too tense to see what was going on around him, so Rose had to tap him on the shoulder to get him to sit down. After he did, he sat facing the crowd because he didn't want to leave his back exposed. A bartender with an eye patch came to them. Gray said hello and was about to order drinks when the man placed three glasses in front of them and started to mix three bright green drinks and martini glasses. Gray sat back and watched him, and when he was done, the man pushed the drinks forward and gave Gray a nod. For us? Gray asked through the thumping beats. The man smiled and nodded. Gray reached for his wallet, and the man stopped him. First round is on the house. Oh, said Gray. Thanks, cool. What are these? The man deliberately turned away from him, looking but not answering the question, then went about to the other customers. Gray shrugged it off, then gave Chester a nudge on his shoulder. He pointed at the drink in front of him. Chester took the drink in his hand without asking what was what, and took a long sip. His eyes were darting all over the room. 
Rose was in her seat, moving to the rhythm. Gray was taking it in too, but unlike his friend, he was enjoying everything about the spectacle. Oh, look, he said to Chester, pointing. I think that's the guy from the Frightmare Street movies. Doesn't that look like him? Oh, and he's talking to that porn actress. What was her name? Crystal Ginger? I had a tape of hers, remember? I don't feel good, man. What? I don't like this. It's weird. Ah, oh, come on, you gotta relax. When are we ever gonna get this opportunity again? Gray and Chester looked out into the crowd and the flashing lights. Rose was somehow now talking and laughing with two shirtless men wearing feather boas, and Chester couldn't really hear what they were talking about. Gray was admiring the band on stage, four guys playing loud electronic music with a laser show behind them. The singer who he thought was Tasha May was gone now, but he thought the music itself was powerful, rhythmic, and even just a little sinister. Almost everything he hoped for for being in a place like this. Then he spotted something else, and not just another celebrity this time. It was that woman from back at the place they were just at. Her coat was off now, and she looked like she'd been dancing out there on the floor for hours, even though he knew he had just seen her no longer than an hour ago himself in the men's bathroom. Her skin looked especially pale in this light, and she was wearing a red dress, and her hair was down. Her face was no longer dry and expressionless, but now full of wild, sexual energy. She caught him looking at her and made a wicked grin. Uh, hey, he said to Chester. Hey, I see that girl who, uh, is it cool if I... Chester was not paying attention. He was just staring forward, as if everything had just come into some hyper-realistic slow time. All right, hey, I'll be around, man. Don't worry, he said, patting his friend on the shoulder. Gray drowned the rest of his drink and left the bar for the dance floor. Oh my god, said Rose, pointing. Isn't that Jeffrey Vaughn from Night Palace over there? I don't even really like those hairbands, but he's not bad. Rose, Chester said. I think I'm having a panic attack. Oh, yeah, she said. That'll happen sometimes, though. It's okay. Just, just breathe. Rose, he said again. Do you think this relationship is going anywhere? She stopped dancing in her seat and cleared her throat. She took her last sip from the drink, brushed her hair out of her face, and then gently took his hand. She made sure her voice was clear throughout all the commotion. Look, Chester, I know you have this idea of how you want things to be, but I just don't think it's going to happen the way you want it to happen. What do you mean? He said. I mean, she thought carefully of what she wanted to say. I mean, I like you, Chester. I may have even loved you at some point, but I don't know if I want what you want, and sometimes I'm not even sure what that is. What do you mean? He asked again, sweating. I mean, I think you need to do some exploring on your own. I think you are wrapped up so tight and you have everything planned to such a T that you've given yourself very little in the way of room to breathe. And I can't, I don't want to be with someone who is suffocating themselves, Chester. I know you know what I'm trying to tell you. I was going to ask you to marry me, Rose. I know, she said. I knew as soon as you picked me up tonight, and for what it's worth, I'm glad you didn't ask me, because I feel like you already knew the answer. They were both silent. Then Rose said, Why don't you take it easy, and you do whatever it is you want to do tonight, Chester? I won't stop you. He was quiet for a while, and then he said, Okay. 
She got up to walk away, eager to get out onto the dance floor with other people, but then stopped herself before she went too far. She turned around, kissed him on the cheek, and left him there. Chester turned around towards the bar in his chair. He pulled the ring out of his pocket and placed it in front of himself. He stared at it until he felt himself completely crumple into a ball bit by bit, and then he finally ended up with his face in his hands. He stayed that way until he heard the clink of a glass next to him, and when he looked up, there was a fresh drink in front of him and a bartender walking away. In another part of the bar, Grace stood there looking at her in the middle of the floor, watching her move. He never done anything like this before, just sat right there staring. Normally a man standing in the middle of a nightclub watching a woman dance would have made him stand out like a creepazoid, but instead she just kept dancing and she was well aware of him watching. She twirled around on her heels and then beckoned him with her painted nail. As complete and total reaction, he stepped into the dancing crowd of bodies, one foot after the other. Rose had been dancing her way through the crowd, and a woman with bright red hair holding a tray of more green drinks and martini glasses stopped her, smiled, put a drink in her hand, and disappeared into the crowd. Thanks, she shouted, not sure if the woman had heard her. She made her way up to a small platform where she saw a group of people dancing by a speaker. She set her drink down on a small table next to the platform and started to groove with the crowd. The bass was rattling through her body, almost in sync with her heartbeat. She thought for a second she might have been given some sort of hallucinogen, but she figured she wasn't, only because of the experience she had taking LSD in her dorm room last spring. While she couldn't quite pin down the difference, she knew that everything was just a combination of cocaine, booze, and excitement that fueled everything within her right now. Whatever it was, she didn't care. After what seemed like hours of dancing, her shirt had come off at some point and she had no idea where it was. She had gone back for her drink several times, but now when she peeled herself away from the floor, she wasn't looking where she was going and bumped into someone. A man apologized and she looked up at him, adjusting her eye to the dark. Oh man, I'm sorry, I totally didn't see you there. He smiled a fresh Hollywood smile to her, then presented something to her in his hand, a wadded up orange button-up t-shirt. I believe <laughs> this is yours. She laughed, embarrassed, took the shirt and put it back on. As she buttoned up, she looked him over. He was about her age, maybe a little older, tall, olive-skinned, black hair, and dressed like an ultra-modern hippie with beaded jewelry hanging off his neck into a tailored black shirt with the first few buttons opened up. Then she said, Hey, you know what? Has anyone ever told you that you look just like that writer, that one guy, TJ Daveroy? This made him laugh. Well, no, he said. In fact, you're the first person here tonight, which is funny because I am TJ Daveroy. Shut up, she said, smacking him on the arm. That's ridiculous. No, you are not. Are you? He nodded, looking only slightly bashful. Then he said, you want to get a drink? Psh, she said. Yeah, duh. Oh, man, I have so many questions. Is Lou Reed an asshole or what? Well, he was nice to me, the man said. Chester, at some point, had found himself walking through the club aimlessly. People who were strange to him looked at him strangely. He had at some point tried to find the exit, but had given up in the sea of people. He didn't know what time it was and hadn't tried to find out either. 
Finally, he found an empty, unoccupied couch somewhere where he flopped himself on and stared at the floor. He rubbed his face with his hands again. Hey, pal, said a voice next to him. A guy had startled him and had sat down right next to him without him even realizing. He was blonde, blue-eyed, kind of preppy looking. He looked just like the guy he shared with a locker next to in lacrosse four years ago. No way it could be the same guy, though, he figured. Smoke? he asked, holding out a dark cigar with a green and gold wrapping on it. This was the same kind his father and his friends smoked. He recognized the brand label. Chester didn't smoke, but he took one anyway. The man struck a match and lit it for him. Name's Michael, he said. Doing all right, man? Yeah, I'm... I'm fine, Chester said, coughing on the cigar. He remembered you weren't supposed to inhale on these. I... I just... I... I I guess I'm just not used to this kind of place or something. Yeah, I hear you, said the man who called himself Michael. I don't really frequent these S&M looking places too much, but it's fine. I'm still having a good time, I guess. Michael flagged a waitress, making a signal with his fingers. She went over and placed two drinks in front of them. Man, I'm... If you don't mind me saying, I'm... I'm just... I'm way out of my element here. I mean... I, I know I just met you and all, but... Can I tell you something shitty that happened to me tonight? Michael shrugged. What happened? I was, uh... I was gonna propose to my girlfriend tonight. I had everything all set up. We went to dinner, we went to a bar, my best friend came along to support me even though I knew he had his doubts. Maybe that's why he came. Anyway, it just it didn't work out the way it was supposed to. I thought I was blaming it on us coming here, but I I know it started way before that. Oh, well that's a damn shame, man. Sorry to hear about that. I mean, it's pretty rough. Well, I guess it's okay though. You're still young, you're still good looking. I'm sure you've got a lot going for you. I mean, Looks to me, at least. Uh, thanks. I appreciate that, Chester said. His body started to unwind a little. He leaned over and took the drink. Thing is, Chester continued, I mean, I think she's right. I liked her and all that, but I just wanted to do what I thought I should do. I just wanted to be like all the other guys in my class. They have all this stuff going on for them, and I just wanted to fit in, I guess. Or It's not even like that. It's like... Chester took a drag off his cigar and exhaled. The flavor hit his taste buds, and for the first time tonight, he felt like he was having the slightest notion of enjoying himself despite everything. It's like I never even thought about it before. I really hadn't. I mean, I'm almost shocked I haven't. I hear you, man, said Michael. Sometimes things just sneak up on you. Chester had now realized that Michael's arm had been behind him. He may or may not have realized when it happened. Michael put his cigar into an ashtray and with his free hand now slowly snuck his hand onto Michael's thigh. Chester was scared at first but made no attempt to move away. He took a drink, smoked his cigar, and looked around the club. I think... I like this kind of music, he said. I think I do too, said Michael. The woman held Gray's hand as they both ran off from the dance floor. He'd never danced so much with anyone in his life, despite the fact he told people he didn't dance. He was covered in sweat right now, and despite it trying to catch his breath, they found a booth in the corner and he lit up two cigarettes, one for him and one for her. He held the butt out of it to her and she leaned over and took it between her lips. She reached into her cleavage and pulled out the little bag he had sold to her earlier and dumped more cocaine on the table. 
They each stood a line once again, and once again there was no real response from her. Why do you call yourself Grey? she asked. Oh, well, he tried to think of a reason behind his initial thing that he said in high school. Something about how that's how he felt inside all the time, or some such bullshit. But realized he was beyond that now. It would have just sounded silly at this point in his life. I just, uh, wanted a nickname, you know, he said, still thinking. It sounded somber and moody, something. I just started saying it and, uh, I guess it stuck. She didn't respond to any of this and he immediately recognized the woman he had met in the bathroom from earlier. She was back to this now. She asked him another question. What's this degree of yours, Lucas? Is it special or meaningful in any way? What will it do for you? He was taken back by her boldness and plainness of what she was asking. I mean, if you have to ask, he said, no, it's nothing. I like the subject and it's interesting, but there's no field on earth that I can make a living from it, unless I was, I don't know, teaching it, which I don't really want to do. What is it that you want to do then, she asked. I don't know, he said. The conversation was almost ruining his high. I tried being in a band, that didn't work. I tried being a writer, that was stupid. I tried doing the old family business, working in finance, that was just boring, honestly. If I could put on a burger hat and go to work at a diner and feel satiated, I would. But I don't, and I know a lot of people my age say stuff like this, but it's true. I can't feel any other way about it, to be honest. She looked him over without saying anything again, though in some strange way he didn't feel foolish for saying any of it. So, he said, wanting to pass the ball to her now, are you in college? Gray thought he heard a scream somewhere in the club. It was cut off abruptly. Something about it didn't sound like it was a fun scream either. Did you hear that? He asked. College, she said, deliberately ignoring what he just said. No, where I come from, people from a certain caste were not allowed to be educated until or even after some time after the Imperial Dukes took over from the church. I myself was a daughter of a vassal. My life was already set before me at the age of 13. It wasn't until the barony from the south came and toppled my father's kingdom, leaving carnage in its wake. I was adopted into Coventry and myself fully indoctrinated at the ripe old age of 25. I later found out they kept me alive that long to see if I would outlive the plague, for what it's worth. Wait, what? said Grey, laughing at this. Where are you from? She shook her head. It's not important. It wasn't until the lords and the gods of the old world had begun to fall and money began to take its place of the old world powers that I finally began to find true freedom, Lucas. It is all that I need now to make anything happen. I could appear anywhere and be anyone, and to think all this power that I had, all this time that I had, and I wasn't able really to do anything with it until now. And that's the ironic thing, I suppose, because you will never know it. You were born into it and have grown easily disaffected by it. I would say it's almost a shame if I knew I wasn't exploiting it all so badly. <laughs> what? He said again. Don't worry about it. There's something I like about you, Lucas, and I would like you to understand what I mean, but only in your own way. There are some things you cannot learn from a college, but I'm sure you've gathered the idea of that by now. What you have not learned, however, is to gather other things for yourself. Grey was quiet for a long time, taking in everything she just said. Uh, well, I, I guess I like you too, but 
I don't know where to start with any of that. She leaned over, putting her hand on the back of his head, running her fingers through his kinky hair, then kissed him. A strange sensation hit him all over his body, like a poison creeping in his veins, but it made him feel good all over, like it just negated every drug in his system right now and replaced it with this feeling. She had her lips locked on him for a moment, and then let him go. She looked into his eyes and then whispered into his ear, It's almost closing time, Lucas. Why don't you get off some last drink from the bar, and I'll give you everything you need to know about me. Uh, okay, he said, smoothing the erection sticking out from his leather pants. He stood up, but ironically now much more inebriated than he had before. Everything was slowed down and blurred. He wasn't sure he needed another drink by this point, but felt himself walking towards the bar anyway, in a slow and steady motion. Bass and a 4-4 beat pounded out from the speakers all around. He could swear he heard more screaming coming from the various parts of the building, but didn't quite know how to think of it. He almost bumped into a man with pointy ears making out with a woman on the dance floor. His head was digging into the side of her neck, and her eyes were rolled back in a state of pain and ecstasy. He only smiled at this, and it seemed to make his arousal grow, which for now he felt no shame for. Maybe it was the drugs, maybe it was the spirit of the party. Everyone around him seemed to be engaged in some voracious sexual act right now. Taking in everything, standing in the middle of the dance floor, he focused his way across to an opposite corner where he thought he saw something. A pale, bald man, also with pointed ears, was feeling up rose from behind in her open blouse and she had a wicked smile on her face, like she was beyond drunk or high. The balding, pale-skinned man had his teeth in her neck, and he was lapping blood from it. Grace staggered around on the dance floor. He was laughing at what he saw. It was so out of place and so strange. He just had to laugh at it. Gray, said a guy's voice. He looked around and saw Chester standing in front of him, naked and covered in his own blood from multiple bite marks on his neck and shoulders. Hey man, Chester said. A cold feeling crept through Gray. This was no longer funny to him now. The reality of the situation was now sinking in. I told you we shouldn't have come here, he said from the lips that looked like they were half paralyzed, which formed into a broad, empty smile. But you know what? I'm actually having the time of my life, man. A small pack of naked, Pale-skinned men surrounded Chester from behind, rubbing their hands all over him, then biting him on various soft parts of his body. Every time they did, he screamed in agony, when the ugly grin would smatter across his face as they leached off of him. Gray tried to turn to run away, but his legs couldn't keep up with what he wanted them to do. It was like running away from something in a bad dream where he couldn't get away quick enough and was fighting against the physical world itself. He tripped on his own feet and took a tumble to the dance floor where he looked beside him and saw a pale, pointy-eared woman scarfing on the middle of the neck of a man, literally scarfing, eating her way through the middle of his collarbone and sucking out the juicing fluids inside. Lucas, he heard a voice say in his head. He turned himself over and looked above him. The woman was floating above him, floating in the air. The person she had previously looked like was now fading away, and she was now a nude, pale woman with pointy ears in her place. The only thing that remained the same were her eyes, and that wicked smile she had seen on her earlier from the dance floor. The difference now was that the smile had two pairs of razor-sharp fangs in her mouth. She spoke through his thoughts and said to him, Are you ready for me now, my dear?
After some time, the four-piece electronic band on stage had set aside their synthesizers, drum pads, and samplers, and replaced them with an outfit of string instruments. The music echoed its way through the blood-soaked building and created a wonderful cacophony of symphonic music. In the center of the floor, bodies stacked in piles. A nude, blood-soaked vampire woman twirled around in the gore, doing perfect ballet to the sway of the music. The lights had come on now, the real lights, and now everything could be seen. A man, slow and inebriated, pounded on the main entrance doors, which were now sealed and begged for his life. There were still survivors around, though most of them were half-dead on the floor or in booths somewhere. They would be eliminated one by one as the night wore on, as the real fun for some came from hunting down the one that were either hiding or running. A male creeped up behind him and pushed him to the floor. He fought for a moment, but then succumbed to fangs and claws. A tall male with a potbelly, fully nude except wearing a gold monocle in his eye, watched this from the dance floor. He turned aside and was checking the piles of bodies for potential trotters, as he called it. Every time he found one, he would slash their neck open with a claw and suckle whatever fluid spilled out. You know, he said, licking the blood off his hand from a recent slash, it's getting close to the holidays. It would have been lovely to put up a Christmas tree in here, don't you think? Mm, perhaps, said a female. She was smoking. She had the head of a curly, dark-haired man resting in her naked, blood-stained lap. It's always so dark in these places. You can hardly see anything. Besides, I don't know if the in-crowd would appreciate it and all. Mm, I see what you mean. Oh, said the male with the monocle, leaning over. Looks like you've got a fresh one here still. I'll just... She batted his hand away. No, he is mine. Leave him. What do you mean he is yours? He said. What if he turns? That is his problem to deal with. Oh? And have you discussed any of this with anyone else? Have you asked me if this is appropriate? I don't need to. I'm older than you, she said, running her yellowed claws through his hair. Besides, I like him. He reminds me of my twelfth husband. I can't remember now. It's been so long. I met him in Prague after... some more. He was very dear to me. I fear you must be suffering from nostalgia. So what if I am? In any case, it's my decision. And are you going to take care of him? Feed him? Be responsible for his actions, as it were? No, she said, almost laughing. Absolutely not. I'm going to leave him right here after we clean up. Let him find his own way. And if he makes it, he makes it. If not, so be it. It's his choice. The monocled one groaned. Very well, if you insist. Speaking of which, we should start thinking about packing it up, as they say. You and the others can use your magic to get rid of the illusory decorum. I'll gather the servants for the bodies. Fine, she said, French inhaling her cigarette. Oh dear, you know what? I think I may have killed a few servants by accident. The monocled one groaned again. Of course you did. In any event... Daylight is coming. I suppose I'll figure it out for you. Hey, mister, wake up. Gray felt a kick to his side. Mm, was all he could say. He realized now he was awake. But then he realized he wasn't in his warm water bed in his parents' house back home, but on a cold concrete floor. Come on, dude, get up! He felt a sneaker in his side again and opened his eyes. They burned like lemon juice poured into his ocular cavities. 
Then he felt a terrible pain in his stomach, which made him writhe in pain. He rolled over and pushed himself up off the floor. Though his vision was still blurry, he could tell he was no longer in the same place that he had been in last night. Or at least, what it had been last night. A terror filled his heart, thinking about his friends and what had happened, if it had been real at all. And the more he had thought about it, the more real it became. God, thank God you're up, said the girl in a dirty neon green t-shirt. She looked filthy, she was trembling, and was just as terrified, if not more energetic, than he was right now. I couldn't tell if you were alive or not because you weren't breathing. I sat here and watched her eyes flicker. I can't, I can't find a way out of here. It's like they sealed us inside or some junk. Gray felt a pain and emptiness inside him and spreading all over his body. His stomach felt sick and weak. He doubled himself over and his sides were in pain. What, what happened? I don't, I don't know, the girl said, trying to unpack everything that had happened in her mind. I went to use the bathroom, and then when I came out, there was these fucking monsters eating people, chasing them around and shit. Oh, God, I don't even want to think about... I I ran to the balcony, I climbed into the rafter and just waited there. And when they, they got everyone, they got all the stuff together, they just snapped their fucking fingers and the whole club went away. It's just this shitty building now, and before that, they loaded all the bodies into crates, and a truck came and picked them up. I was hanging from there, from the rafters, when they left, and then this monster girl looked up at me before they locked the doors. God, I thought I was going to die. Gray felt something coming up from his system. Wait a minute, he said. I just... Stand back. I need to... Gray vomited a mucus-like green and black pile of vomit into his hands and all over the floor. It felt like the contents of everything he had eaten yesterday, plus the remaining blood in his system and maybe even parts of his insides. It smelled foul and penetrated their noses almost immediately. Oh, God, said the girl, recoiling. What the fuck, dude? Are you okay? Ugh, we gotta get out of here. That's disgusting. That can't be right. Gray looked at his vomit-stained hands and noticed his skin was white now. White like a corpse. He started to feel himself and put his hand over his heart where he felt no heartbeat. His stomach still hurt, but where a moment ago it had felt like he was carrying a sickness inside, there was now a hunger. A savage, malicious hunger that no Big Mac could ever satiate. It was all he could think about, and what was worse than any addictive craving he had ever felt in his life. The girl went up to the boarded up window and shook it, trying to pry it loose. Daylight streamed in through the cracks in the boards from the other windows. He felt his way towards her with his hand out and his skin caught a beam of naked daylight and burned him. He hissed in pain. The girl spun around when he made this sound and saw the maw of teeth in his mouth. She screamed and the sound reverberated through the entire building. Gray remembered something he said but not a few hours ago about not knowing what to do with his life. The feelings of emptiness and boredom that once permeated his very waking existence since his early adolescence meant absolutely nothing now. He never knew if he had a future and couldn't decide what it is he wanted to do with himself. Until now, when he knew that above all else, that he wanted to survive. Listening to Club Crimson, written and performed by myself, Nicholas Corice. Background ambience provided by Tabletop Audio. Support them at tabletopaudio.com. 
and music provided by bensound.com. Please follow me on Instagram at Nicholas No Exit. This episode and this story is dedicated to the memory and inspiration of Anne Rice. Rest in peace. You have been listening to No Exit with Nicholas Corius. Good night. <laughs>